I'm Brent Leary. I'm Paul Greenberg. And I'm Rebecca Wedeman. And that is the first time she's ever done that on this show. Hey. Maybe not. Woohoo. We are the CRM players. We're back. It's Thursday afternoon. And in Atlanta, at least, it's nice. It's sunny and it's not that hot. This is a good day. I'll leave the weather to Atlantis. It's a little hot here now. <laughs> it's nice and steamy where Paul and I are. Yeah. 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 yeah you guys are, uh, you're in that, uh, what do you call that, the mid Atlantic? You know, Manassas, yeah, we in are. DC, kind of. It's the, right, so the mid Atlantic. Yeah. Isn't. But now but we can officially start really. the show. Oh, Moshi Moshi. Oh, wow. What's that? <laughs> what language is that? I have, oh, Japanese. is that okay. My father used to sing me a song that started with those two words. Mushi Mushi Anane. What song was that? Song in Mushi Mushi Anane? Right. He, he was in the occupation forces in World War II. So he learned all these Japanese songs. And the, the, I can't sing, so I won't sing it. But the words were Mushi Mushi Anane, 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 Mushi Mushi Anane, Aso Deska. See, and then nice. Thank you, Sven. Uh, Thank you. Yeah, for bringing us the meaning of the. See, he's gotten better with giving us the meaning after he throws <laughs> out the whatever. It is. Thank you, Sven. We're like, right, right, right. What language? What the hell language is that? And then it, you know, it, we had to coax him into telling us what it was. Yeah, I, as right soon now. as I saw it, my my dad popped in my head immediately. <laughs> like, what is no, that's nice. That's nice. So thanks for that, Sven. Thank you. And thank you for being here with us. Although, a little sad note for an old baseball fan here. Literally, just before we got the word, well, we started doing this. We got the word that really one of my all-time favorite baseball players, J.R. Richard, uh, passed away at the age of 71. Young guy. Oh, Christ. Younger than me. He was, when he was at the top of his game, there was few that were better than that guy. I, I liked him when he was with the Houston Astros. That was well. That's like me that, too. That was yeah. The late seventies, early eighties. He was mm-hmm. he, he was one of those dudes you did not want to go to the plate and bat against. Big guy, and he threw hard, and he threw really. He threw at you sometimes too. Man. He was oh, he was to tough. Back you up. Yeah, you know he had he had a lot of flair too, man. You just like, even you couldn't take your eyes off watching him pitch. I still remember. No. I, he was like, like you. I, he was like, even though he wasn't a Yankee, he was definitely one of my favorites also. Loved him. Yeah. Uh, you know, Bob Gibson, although I was not old enough to watch him, but I, you know, watching the, the, the footage, he, he was my favorite of all time. Steve Carlton being a Phillies fan uh, when I was a young kid, I loved him as a pitcher. Not so much as an, uh, a human being. I'll put right. that out there right now. Uh, and then before Dwight Gooden, there was J.R. Richard. J.R. was right in that, that thing. Yep. Did he? Did, wasn't he on those teams with Nolan Ryan? Weren't yes, they he like was. On the, well, it was like he, he was on Nolan Ryan. He was tail ending when Nolan Ryan was kind of beginning. It was like right in there. I'm pretty sure it was like yeah. – um, yeah, it was sort of at the beginning of Ryan with the Astros and the end of J.R. Richard into the Astros, but they did cross paths. There was a little overlap, right? Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. And they, I'm not. What year did J.R. start with the Astros? I don't know. It, was, it had to be mid to late 70s. If Maybe 78, 77. He might, 
he might, and this is might, have overlapped, and I don't really remember the years on this, with Jimmy Wynn, who was also one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Another and one. and, and uh, Rebecca, who, who, what was your best memory of uh, J.R.? <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's so many, so many. It's really <laughs> to say, I can't pick just one. I really can't pick just one. But uh, but the Braves are the Braves are doing well this year. Oh, oh, I didn't know you were a Braves fan. Wait a minute. I'm I'm not, but I've been told that the Braves are doing well this year. <laughs> they're actually not. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're not doing as well as they were last year. Let's put it like that. They're not doing as well as they're supposed to but, either. But we give Rebecca an A for effort because you know, I'm not kidding. That was, that was like that was the perfect Toastmaster answer. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right, so we that do have some training. really good. Uh, we got a, a. They're not even really new guests, and and one of them really isn't a guest at all, you know. But you know, we're going to be bringing we'll back some as a guest for faces. today. Yeah, well, we have we'll to. see. We'll see. yeah, we'll treat her as it well. doesn't. Well, 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 no, we'll count her as a guest, but we won't necessarily treat her. <laughs> okay, yeah, I like that combination better. Yeah. Uh, so we'll talk to them in a in a couple of minutes. We're not even going to tell you who they are, although if you look at the comment section, you kind of already know who one of them is. Uh, but I want to do something I've never done before on uh, Serum Players. Okay. Do you give me a little little room to do something different? All right. So. I went to my uh, my doorstep and I saw this box. Oh, you're gonna do it! Oh, wow! I'm going to do an unboxing of my latest two Rams hats, right here. Unbelievable! Wow, that is absolutely yeah. incredible. Uh, yeah, it's. Uh, I don't know what number. There's two of them in here. These are probably getting me close to like. 70 or 80. You're supposed to comment on the tape of the box now. This is oh, unboxing, well, it's, man. You it's a do good the whole solid thing. box. The box yeah. has, uh, you know, all the right uh, sides. Yeah, yeah. what are all the accessories that come with it? Like a tripod? <laughs> 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 Hat with all right, tripod. so here we go. Two hats. Oh, Does this it have a cool. lens? All right. Uh, <laughs> all right, so <laughs> I think I got these on sale. That's far as I can. All right. Oh, wait a minute. Bags and instruction All right. Manual. So here's the first. Can you see the first? It's like a, a that's what a kind cool of army one. green. Yeah, it's, I like that. That's that's a, that ain't bad. I like that. So that's like that's like a Greek, like a classic Greek ram head rams hat. <laughs> that's what I was going it's for. Like classic Greek. It's ram like the mask that a high priest would wear before he sacrificed <laughs> many human is, beings. Is that their normal right. color? Are these normal no. colors? No. No, these are not. specialty, custom-made, not custom, but, wow. you know. The, 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 limited edition. I don't edition. even know limited what this is. Yeah, limited edition. I don't okay. know. What, what, what do you call this, like blue speckles or something? I, I, I think I call that uh, uh, pre-washed I just blue painted jeans. the house, I think is what it right. is. Right, <laughs> so pre-washed blue jeans. Pre-washed blue right. jeans. So here, here are the two. Very nice. Very nice. I want people to I put really it. Like I'm those. going to. I'm going to change into one of these. So I'm going to go by whoever's out there. Leave a comment. Should I go with the green hat? Or I don't How do you explain this? The blue washed out hat? I don't know how to describe that. Anyway, let me know which one I should change into. Because I, I will change into this right when we put our guests on. All right. So you got the green and you got the not green, bluish, whitish thingy. I like them both. Can I just say go for the green? 
I want to go for the green. Go for the green. I vote for the green. I'm, I'm actually uh, rooting for the green. Although, um, <laughs> right. if I'm you, don't read Alan Berkson's comment. Uh, now, of oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. Well, now at least their comments are pouring in now. I got kind of behind. Uh, oh no, Nash forty Need green. Nash, no, no. well, that is four seven seven. That, yeah, that does kind that's of look close. like the Nash color. You it know, does. When you think about well, that's it. just military, military green. That's all. Well, military I like that. khaki. I like it's khaki. It's khaki. Wait, wait a minute. What is what is John John Reed talking about here? I guess the Red Sox hat. I yeah. Sorry, John. I no, actually, John got it came. It's already been burnt in a ceremony <laughs> prior to the, prior to the uh, show. Oh, look who it is. El Nicole. Wow. wow, what she's doing hey here. There. <laughs> who, who would have expected her to be here on this show today? What? Huh. Blueberry version? Okay, no, uh, actually, kind of, kind of, maybe, little, almost blueberry colors. No, no, no. All right, let me get to Alan here. Let's see. Let's uh, Alan talk That's about. Hey guys, guess, guess who else is joining us today? Your dog. Oh, oh. hi, Patrick. Oh, yeah. Hey. No way. Yes. Right. Look at that gorgeous creature. Now I'm going to be uh, obsessed green, with your dog the whole green show. Green hat will get lost in the back. Really? The we'll green hat will get lost in the background? It will destroy our corporate narrative if you put that one on. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. What's the, what is El Nicole saying? Patrick. Who the hell? Who's Patrick? Patrick. Yes, this, this is Patrick. Oh, oh your dog. It's Patrick. I we was, got multiple conversations going on here, folks. Uh, there's like 20 that. different ones jumping. Patrick is yeah. so adorable, though. Oh. <laughs> uh, Mr. Reed. What is his nickname again? The bad boy ERP or something like that? Yeah, well, we, we can call him that. We can give him any nickname we demo want, which is great. Well, you you <laughs> didn't you used to call him like Erp or something like that? I don't know. Wyatt. Erp. I just call him Wyatt. <laughs> Wyatt. All right. Unless you're watching okay. it, unless you're watching Netflix now, then it's Winona. Winona Erp. All right. So we got a few a few minutes before we get to our guest. Jesus. Wow, went off the rails. All right, keep them coming. I think Green is in the lead. At least by my calculations, Green is in the lead. That's what I want to wear. <laughs> Al has hashtag destroy your corporate narrative. <laughs> he, you know, did, did uh, Alan ever tell, Rebecca, did Alan ever tell you that he wrote a, a post on uh, Paul ZDNet blog around corporate narratives uh, maybe a decade ago? No, he might, didn't. You, he might mention it. it actually, it actually is the, I think it's now the second most. It might still be the first. It was close. With that That's one, because one he keeps one. pointing people to it. He's It's been up for 10 most, years, and he's still pointing people to it. That's why. I'd say. <laughs> tell you the truth, it was a really good post. It really was. No, don't, don't do that. I have to. I have to. I have to do that for, he's a Mets fan. He's a New Yorker, New Jersey, New York. Yeah, gotta help him. Help him out. You gotta throw him a bone, okay? All right. Mm -hmm. So before we bring our guests on, let me—I'm I, sure by now you probably saw the news that uh, one of the co-founders of HubSpot, Brian Halligan, who is the CEO, is kind of moving into a new position as, as executive chairman. And mm -hmm. I cannot remember um, her name, but the current chief people officer 
is going to become uh, the CEO, I think, as of September. Interesting. I know both of you know those that company really well. So why don't you just give me your thoughts on, you know, Brian Halligan kind of uh, handing the reins over as CEO and and going the executive chairman position. Well, Rebecca, you want to start? No. Brian and I used to have the same dog walker, actually. Little, little <laughs> fact. Um, you know, I, I think it's an interesting time for HubSpot as they as they look to move forward. And uh, it's probably time for Brian. And it'll be interesting to see uh, what the new CEO does. Well, I, you know, I, as I, well, HubSpot's been a fascinating company, and I'm really trying to figure out what the name of the CEO is, but I can't find it. Um, fascinating company when it comes to where they've been and where they came from. If you remember their origins, I mean, all the way back. I mean, Brent and I literally used to go up to their offices in Boston and film mm -hmm. episodes of CRM players there. And back in the day, of course, they were focused on marketing you know in well inside marketing specifically which was a well, stuff was their fascinating in the early days it was really really and interesting. it was powerful nobody was doing was it and incredibly powerful i, I still yeah. remember and they, the thing that was incredible was that they could always prove their own case by their own work and i remember for example and this is sort of a quasi often repeated story meaning i repeated often enough uh brent actually did a webinar with them and this is back in the days when webinars were getting two, three hundred people max, maybe on a typical webinar, who actually would attend and maybe you get six hundred, five hundred would register. Brent got forty-one hundred registrants, and HubSpot was using its own methodology to support it. They had their own system. Mm -hmm. Twenty-six hundred people attended, and the thing that made that amazing—that was the fourth largest one they did that year, right? It was well, but that was. It was well, they were doing content. They worked. were doing the content marketing before anybody was doing it. You know, as we and think that, about the, yeah. You know, they had a, um, they had a lot of, uh, so you know, at a certain point, they they grew, they grew, they grew. They created their user conference, you know, and it, it got to ten thousand people in no time. I mean, they began really expanding the message. They were extremely well known. There was a period where they began eating their own dog food too much. They pushed a very poor at the time CRM. They had some they had some growing pains and the kind of freemium yeah. CRM that didn't really work. Yeah. It was pretty terrible actually, and you know, and it. I, but that, to their credit, they've improved it a great deal since. Um, but the the thing is that there came a point, and I don't know when that was, just a few years ago, a very few years ago, where they actually kind of turned a corner and understood that, okay. Let's stop eating our own dog food. Let's start expanding our capabilities. Let's grow toward a much more expanded CRM uh, uh, suite. Let's and we're not. They don't. Let's build out the platform aspect of it. it. He went green, and and at that point they just they exploded. And now I think Brent, you have the numbers right for yes, I do. I certainly wow. do oh, have we, the numbers. Thank God, went green. Khaki. Look at that. Look at yeah, that. and I I agree with I I agree with Miss L Nicole on you know being the go-to source from a content perspective, in providing content and guidance around users for actually what they should be doing. It's always been a strength of HubSpot, and they've continued to do that. Yeah, I, well, to I the mean, tune again, of again, 
one two one point two billion annual runway at this particular moment, which is pretty impressive. To their great credit, and you know, look, I mean, they they've re they've re they kind of they didn't never reinvented themselves. They just kind of expanded and retooled, right? Um, and from that standpoint, they understood how the market was aligned. You know, when they did it too, it just occurred to me. Remember about. Uh, it must be four years ago, maybe when there was all of a sudden there was a maybe even five now. Right? There was a fairly big push around the idea of alignment of sales and marketing, like that uh, became a thing, you know, as opposed to just an outlier. Awesome leads over occasional. the fence. Yeah, yeah. When that happened is when they re they kind of repositioned and wisely because effectively when you have marketing and sales which is what they have they're still not particularly strong on the service side so uh you know you can you can and integrate it well you can do that and they did it so bye john so i i think that um from their standpoint that repositioning really really helped them take off and and to their great credit again i'm i'm thrilled at their success i mean the only thing I still hold against them is that they used to name the rooms in their offices for all the Boston teams. <laughs> yeah, one thing I'll just say is a lot of the interesting thing about HubSpot, we literally we saw them go from two guys to what is it, thousands of employees at this point. Yeah, that's right. If you notice, kind of as as their as they matured and as their needs grew from generating leads to converting leads to you know the sales process and then the keep them they created their own pieces of the crm platform based on kind of where they were in their in their organizational journey so it's been interesting to see how when they were at a certain level they had all the leads that they needed now they needed to progress uh you know process them and go through the sales process then they added you know those components and then when they started needing to really focus more on customer service, then they brought out the service. I mean, it was really interesting to see how they grew their company and grew their products based on their situation and their in their particular growth cycle. So, got to give them a lot of credit. Yep, and I, I don't expect anything but further success. Really, I, I still think they have a ways to go on the service customer service side, but. Yeah. But well, the that's reality the latest. Is, that's only been out a couple of yeah. years, right? Yeah, yeah, and they're not they're not a, they're not on par yet there, but they are on par. Again, to their huge credit, they're on they're on par at least at a certain level. You know, I wouldn't say enterprise level, but you know, but they're on par in sales, which was astonishing given how where they were not a long time ago. Original. Oh my yeah. god! Yeah. 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 All right. So speaking of actually the the next couple of folks that we're going to bring on they're not par they're above par or wait a minute below par uh, what's the best way to say that that's right if this if we're making golf analogies they're below par they're below par right. they're way below but par in, <laughs> that's right they're eagles they're eagles wow, they are eagles all right well with that said Look who it is. Hey, Dina. Oh, wait, a wait a minute. Wait a minute. Before we say who she is, we're going to bring our other guest on to introduce her and say her last name for us. Uh, <laughs> well, hey, the good news is I figured it out on CRM plans. So, you know, ah. that was all good. 
So oh, El Nicole is back. And El Nicole, who is this with you? My, <laughs> it's my fearless leader, Dina Apastolu. Whoa. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Love right, it. Welcome right. you both. Welcome Ooh. both to the show. Welcome. It feels so weird saying that to one of you, but feels great saying it to the other. I know, right? <laughs> right? It's lovely to see both of you. Hi, Rebecca. It's nice to see you as well. She's taking the, the Rebecca's taking the less it still hurts position. <laughs> <laughs> At least she has Patrick as an emotional support animal to help along the way. Look, he's, he's helped me a great deal in this. Right. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Uh, I, you know, it's, it's fun seeing you two together, you know, and doing what you're doing. And it's also, you know, before we get too far in this, let's just congratulate Contentful for uh, the recent fundraising, $175 million. And the first thing that Paul and I wanted to say about that is mm -hmm. we have a great sponsorship opportunity for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> and sponsorships start at $75 million and go up. <laughs> yeah. We, we wanted to make sure you still had at least the bulk of the remaining investment. Like, okay, what a deal. What a I know, after you so obviously would agree to that. I mean, I would agree to it sight unseen if I were you because the deal is amazing. Mm -hmm. That's all I can say. Does it involve baseball caps? Or just, just Rams, Rams paraphernalia? I mean, yes, just, it yeah, does. Okay. Well, highlighting a couple, Brent actually created those two caps. It's part of the uh, sponsorship. <laughs> it's the, the CRM Players brand collection. Mm -hmm. uh, that's right. <laughs> Co-branding, I like it. Limited editions. So it's been so, so long since we talked to you both, right? Well, yeah. I guess, Nicole, not so long ago, right? Right. That was only, right. I, no, it's like a week, two Mountains of <laughs> Northern Oregon, <laughs> listening to that episode. But uh -oh. yeah, yeah, you're uh, breaking up. But I do believe that uh, the 175 million didn't get announced until you did bring Nicole on. So, is there any coincidence? Or <laughs> I just waved my magic wand around that said funding, <laughs> funding. Right. You didn't wave so, it around with us, so you know. I well, I didn't know I had it, so now I do. So. Paul, Brent, you know, that's my next uh, my next wand usage. No, we're going to bring you back to the players and residents temporarily so that we can get that investment. <laughs> <laughs> right. So so I, I was reading, um, I think it was Daniel Newman's article post <laughs> on the investment. And he mentioned in the beginning of it that you guys were uh, you guys were going to use it. I don't know where he got this particularly, but you guys were going to use it mostly, I'll call it just for outbound kind of things, um, which is a hell of a lot of money for outbound kind of things. Uh, so I'm kind of curious as to how you see that being used. In, I mean, to the extent you can talk to it, but, you know, going forward, because I was really, it seemed like a very specific statement the way he made it and, it, and more specific than I normally see those being made. I mean, they were very, very well. You saw the article. So, how are you actually intending 
to the extent you're able to talk about it. How are you actually intending to take these funds? What are you going to do with some of them? How are you going to expand? What's the, what's the strategy behind all this? Oh gosh, how much time do how much time do we have? You have till four as o'clock. As much time as you need to sponsor us. We can talk continuously <laughs> if you want to. Yeah, yeah, if you sponsor us, you can talk until your, your heart's delight. Yeah, yeah. Well, what I think is most um, important to, to start with is that this. Is there some feedback? No, no you're good. I think okay. Good now. Okay. Um, I think what's important to acknowledge here is that like this, this round of funding just validates the size and the growth opportunity that there is in the market and where Contentful's um, current positioning is and what that future potential looks like. Right. So I think that's an important place just to start. And and our investors, um, well, we're really excited about the new investors that have come on board and Tiger Global for have leading this round of the evaluation. They also see that there is a need, um, a capital necessary, right, to kind of execute on this vision as well. And so the way I would look at it is it's, it's an ability um, in terms of this investment to expand our global f- footprint. So I wouldn't just say it in terms of outbound, but when I think about global footprint, right, that requires, you know, it, it requires that you have the next generation of products, right? It, it requires that you have, you know, the sales um, the sales aspect and you have marketing as well. So you need all of these three things in alignment in order to um, really push forward in terms of that global footprint and market potential. So um, it's not necessarily for the sake of like outbound activation. Let's just be honest. It's not for the sake of that, but it is around how do we ensure that um, contentful and, and where we're going and who we build for, which is, you know, we're focused on builders and developers and it's about how do we advance our place in the role that they have and the problems that they're solving in relation to the digital world. And that's really what we're all about here for this next um, kind of uh, stage of journey of working Tenfold is. And now we can pursue them, right? I'll just say, you know, it's a, it's a big, it's a big step up in how you tackle this you know, larger market opportunity. So, there, you know, there's an awful lot of stuff that goes into building that presence that Dina talked about. And, you know, it's it's the kind of investment that if you don't make now, it's really hard to actually grow effectively going forward. Well, what about, so, you know, it would be actually useful because it's interesting, I think partly because of you, but also partly because of one of your competitors, which is Adobe. Um, headless CMS seems to be kind of a big deal. I mean, and the whole concept of headless, period. And then, you know, CMS is obviously even a, as we move forward and as generational shifts are occurring, and headless CMS becomes a really big deal. And so how do you, how do you see the market? I mean, what, tell people what it is so that people really understand the concept because, believe me, they don't. Um, so it would be good for people to hear from, uh, from the Eagles mouths, the Eagles mouths. I like that. Um, yeah. And if, you know, and I would take it, I would actually take a step back from the, the term headless too, right? Like that, that is getting some mileage in terms of, I think how, um, some in the market are defined, but that is, we, we would be a shortcoming if we just described contentful as a, as a provider of headless, that is one component but when you think about what Contentful is doing, so we are helping digital teams um, assemble content and deliver those experiences faster. Okay, and we do this through the platform. So we have a platform 
that uh, underneath that application framework, uh, we have APIs and we have tooling and we have an ecosystem that we integrate with. You know, we have all of those things that allow those digital teams to reuse components of the of the platform so that they can go and automate content across their digital experiences. And so it is a it is a platform that is for builders. But when we talk about builders as well, it's not always the technical developers. Majority is, but there are obviously um, significant roles like around um, those that are that are involved in the building process, content creators, editors, orchestrators, people that are planning, those that have operations roles around those digital experiences. Um, so in terms of where Contentful fits and, and how we talk about um, um, our offering is really at the platform la layer. Delivery and the APIs that are part of that headless component are, are key and critical, but that's not the only thing for Contentful. Um, and how we position ourselves. So I think that's an important distinction there. Um, Nicole, feel free to chime in there because I'm sure you have thoughts. Yeah, I was just gonna say it's, it, it is interesting because um, I think one of the conversations that we're starting to have more and more is what the relationship is between how these technology investment and architecture decisions actually have an impact on other types of operations too. And it's it's really fascinating when you start talking about content because first of all, it's not like the thing at the end of the line that's just like the copywriters do that goes onto the website, you know, and isn't necessarily an afterthought, but, you know, content really is an integral part of how companies communicate to their customers, you know, what they are, what they do, what they're selling, um, what matters to them, what they think matters to their customers. All this stuff really is content in some form or another. So, what becomes really interesting around this whole concept of, of headless, the idea that we're disaggregating the content from where it goes and where it gets displayed has some really interesting implications for who's designing it, who's creating it, and how they think about creating it. Because by virtue of changing that process, we're actually able to change some thinking about what goes into that whole content life cycle, not just where it ends up being displayed. So I have a dumb question. Content management has obviously been around for a long time and we've seen a lot of players evolve and a lot of folks that have, that have been doing this for a long time and talking about sort of the content management. What makes this difference? Sort of what's the, is it the headless piece that is really the special sauce here or is there something else that's fundamentally different in the way we're thinking about sort of managing content throughout an organization? Do you want to take that one, Dina? Or do you want it's more... You look, you look all frozen to me on, on this right now. So I just want to make sure you can hear me. Um, yes. Are we good? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, it, it's absolutely a combat. So there's the management piece of it, but I would actually say this, the, the part that um, we sometimes underestimate is the, the um, building with the end in mind. Okay. And that is really where the onset of the designing and the play is around that content. And, and in, it's a lot about the operation of it. That is actually back and think of when you are um, creating space for which that that content show up and be rendered in a digital endpoint, right? What are all the things you need to do and think about the design upfront and the development and the assembly of other technology that should come into play? It's not just about the creative tools; it's about actually how it's going to fit within within an architecture. Um, so that's one component. 
there is a, a layer, of course, of the operations, right, and the the management. Who needs to have, you know, what permissions, where, how is content flowing between an organization? How is that content, you know, going to flow outside of the uh, organization as well? But there's a lot to unpack there, and that's kind of traditionally where CMS has fit. Um, then there's the aspect of knowing that that content has a place, whether it's within a, a PIM, a DAM, an app, right? The idea is that we're not looking to go and create a bunch of those apps on top of our platform because there's enough technology partners that exist in the world, but how do you ensure that that experience fits into the content platform? It's in product and in context. And that's a key piece of our ecosystem strategy as well um, that we think about um, as it relates to um, that aspect and delivery. Then there's the CDN side of it as well. You know, APIs also help with that part of it. So um, in addition, there's this whole notion of like iteration and versioning of content, because as we all know, coming from this space, content can get old fast, right? And then you have this legacy issue. But how do you make content better over time from, from the insights and the feedback that you can get from it and ensure that within an organization, you have the right version of content that will be delivered to the right endpoint. So we think of it in a much broader way than what a traditional CMS um, is, is categorized as. And if you just look at the, the headless piece, you're only just looking at one wedge of this as well. You're only just really looking at the efficiency of delivery. So has the, uh, this past 18 months, you know, all the digital transformation talk, has that changed the way that companies in general look at content and how it's created to how it's used and particularly not just the kind of the digital native or you know cloud companies that were born to think like that and but what about the, like the meat and potato kind of companies that you know focus more on product than message and, and content have you started seeing them change their approach and look at content in a more strategic way that's central to the overall not just you know gathering leads or doing just lead gen? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it, it's clearly interesting that every, you know, there's been this huge pivot towards digital, but even when you think about like the companies that have naturally been built based on kind of a, a physical footprint, they still have a digital aspect to it, right? And you hit on one of those, right? Like, yeah, there's the outbound stuff, but then you think about all the data capture, right? At that point of, you know, let's say sale, right, or immersion in, in types of experience that you, that you might have there. Those are forms of content that are generating data, right? So regardless, like content is a, is a key ingredient that is so critical for a business. And it's not a last mile piece of the execution, but it's actually sits at the core ingredient of a digital strategy. And so we're seeing more businesses and more customers um, of that mindset. There are plenty of customers that we have as I think about like services and products. You know, you think about AE um, uh, or excuse me, EA. So if you think about like uh, gaming, right? That's a good example of, of, of services and how they're thinking about content and whether they're talking about the games or whether they're talking about the whole nurture experience or they're talking about the community. Like there's so many forms of, of content. Is you talking about the voice versus action, you know, physical versus verbal, you know, like there's all of those things. So it's no longer about content in the form of, you know, text on a page, right? It's it's really pervasive. And so we are seeing customers 
Um, no, it's not just about digital native too, but those that are going to survive are the ones that are rethinking like their strategy with digital in the center of it and content as being one of those core assets to their business that they can have IP around. I'll just say too, you know, it's interesting because, you know, to the point about this, not just being about the digital natives, it's clear. I think just about every business over the last 18 months figured out that this whole digital thing is not just a passing fad. Um, and I think what's interesting is it's not even so much about, are you operating as a more traditional company in all these digital channels? But I think what we've seen uh, over recent months is a realization that it actually really does require a different way of thinking and a different way of working. And that's as much about changing some of the operations as it is about making sure you've got the right tools to do it. So, you know, think of companies like Moderna and CVS that, you know, they've had some pretty amazing last year, you know, year, two years with some crazy stuff going on. They're as much pushed to change the way that they think about content and what it means to be digital first as Netflix or Spotify or, you know, anybody who's been a digital native delivering things like streaming content. And it's it's really fascinating to watch because you begin to see that this whole concept of digital first I think it is really starting to be better understood. It's not that everything is about having a commerce channel. It's that that might be one part of a much more extensive strategy. And if you aren't thinking about all of this stuff really holistically, even when you have retail stores, even when you're doing things face-to-face -face and in person, digital still pervades in all of those areas too. So if you aren't building a broad-based understanding of what that means and how to support it efficiently, you're, you're going to kind of be crushed under your own weight because you're going to be duplicating effort and you're going to be paying way over the odds to make it happen. And it's frankly going to be painful and slow. You know, I'm so glad that you mentioned that for a lot of folks, there still is going to be a physical piece to this, right? CVS is going to have all their digital strategy, but they still have to have tags and tickets and marketing on shelves, at least for the foreseeable future. But for a global organization, I'm looking at style branding language challenges as I think about content globally. How global are you guys today and how are you kind of addressing that? I'm going to jump in on this one, but I know Dina will have more depth to add. But I think very much so. I'm, certainly the company was founded and is still pretty much mainly operating out of Germany. Um, so it is a German company. So the fact that we've got... HQ and uh, CEO based in the US, and we're obviously in the US, we're already a pretty international, multinational company. And we're supporting a lot of very multinational customers around the world. Um, and you know, we haven't forgotten APJ, we're, we're there too, and we're growing. Um, what's interesting to me is, you know, one of the fundamental challenges of being multinational is that you have to deal with things like translation. And that's actually a huge use case that we support a bunch of different kinds of customers on in a number of different areas, many of them customer facing, not all customer facing, because there's a, there's a whole different set of challenges when you're trying to interact with customers locally in a variety of different places, um, not just languages, uh, but different cultural sensitivities, different product lines, sometimes different brands in different places as well. So does the European roots give you guys a strength there, you think? I like to think yes. I mean, this is all of my time living in Europe talking here as well. I, I think you fundamentally have 
a more innate understanding of those challenges when you live them every day. And we certainly do. I mean, you know, Dina's day starts a lot earlier than mine does, but uh, we're not quite working on German time, but we're somewhere in between. Yeah. <laughs> hey, we got a question in, and it's a rather kind of question slash statement from our buddy Sven. The question about the goal of content, if you talk to a publishing house, it's for making money, paywall within online. But what is the reality? Content is there to generate traffic and collect data. 90% of all new business models are data-driven. So how is Headless CMS playing in this field? All right. Well, I think we kind of addressed some of that. Like, I think we kind of hit on most of that, right? Where um, I think that's where, in, in some regards, like, again, Headless players and Headless CMS, we believe is, is quite critical to a digital strategy and a digital strategy that's intended to drive some level of revenue and growth for a business. You know, like why would you have a strategy that you're, that isn't going to materialize that for the business? And so we look at content and a content platform as being able to accommodate multiple use cases. And those to what Nicole was just kind of doubling down on is like around kind of commerce, right? It's explosive, you know, in the past um, couple years. And so, yeah, content is no longer just about the front, the front end of a journey and the back end, you know, of, of a journey. There's so much intricacies there, you know, especially as it relates to revenue generating types of activities and, you know, cross sell, upsell. Yes, the analytics that it generates around it, but it kind of puts it into context. Um, Nicole, I don't know if you want to add anything else there. Yeah, Dina, Dina has heard me say probably more times than she can count at this point. You know, in my mind, content is actually a really, really big thing. It's a whole lot of different things at, at once. And we use this term like it's like it's kind of one thing, but it's it's not. I mean, I would argue that if you're going to really zoom out and take a big picture, look at it, content is, in effect, the story that a company is telling. Uh, that it's telling to its customers, that it's telling to its employees even. And it's all the various elements of that. I mean, it's everything from, you know, the the brand promise and advertising and the way it's perceived. It's the set of things that, that you're selling, you know, whether they're tangible or not, how you describe them, how you position them. It's all of the things that you use in your communications and interactions and transactions with customers and sometimes that's expressed in specific assets, you know, a PDF document or a picture or a brochure or a billboard advertisement, whatever it might be. But it's sometimes a little more nebulous than that as well. Yeah. And so if we're talking about content and, you know, to Sven's question, how do you monetize it? What is it for? I think the answer is going to be very subjective because it's not the same for every business. But if you can think about what it is in a big picture sense, that's where you're going to get to the best, most efficient answer for how to make it work for you. So it's sort of, I mean, it's interesting, but one observation is you guys are clearly going to have a hard time getting past the idea of being called a company that does headless CMS. So you're going to probably have to really like attack on that one um, since it seems like resistance is almost futile. So you're going to have to work really hard on it. Work hard because uh, you obviously are more than that. And that's, I think, yeah. clear. Um, that said, you're tagged somewhat, so you're going to have to deal with it. Uh, so, the, But here's the thing. So one of my most recent, I'll call it crusades, 
is that, um, and this comes after I've in part recognized the value of TikTok in the world, um, is actually that we're undergoing this dramatic, well, it's, it's, and what I'm going to say is going to sound pretty obvious to you, but it's never talked about on the macro level, particularly. We're undergoing a dramatic generational power shift, right? And my generation's leaving the workforce and either retiring or dying pretty much as J.R. Richard clearly did. Um, number one, Gen X is still kind of ruling the roost in part on the upper, upper levels of a lot of you know, enterprise companies, but it's the tiniest little generation and never was very big to begin with. And if you're looking at a generation that it is, it's really small. <laughs> it just cut us all down. Well, me down. I didn't say that no one. I already said you guys are still ruling a lot of the larger <laughs> companies, right? Not cutting you down. All right. But, and then you have the millennials who are no longer, and this I will sort of give them a very backhanded compliment. They're no longer half-formed entitled brains, right? They're actually like full-grown adults with uh, families and they're 40 years old and they're at C-level executives in many companies and they're doing a lot of important decision-making. And Gen Z is no longer dependent on their parents for their money. They're actually in the workforce, okay? So the, now as you both, all of us know, really, there's a lot of very, very different kind of, let's call it, ways that people consume, distribute, and create, uh, create, distribute, and consume content in the latter two, very different than the former two, right? Very different. And doesn't mean ultimately they won't end up like their parents because they will, right? But in the, in the interim, right there, it, that, those changes are dramatic. And it's, and it's not like it hasn't had impact on my generation or Brent's generation in particular, it has, right? I mean, it really has. It, we react to it and we react accordingly, you know, thus the extraordinarily terrible dad jokes on TikTok, right? So, right? But the thing is that the, the, that, that change dramatically starts redefining content. And one of the things it does, and it kind of goes to what you guys are doing already, is it kind of throws out the idea of omni-channel to a whole, it just pretty much throws it out, really. It doesn't work the way it used to work, right? It's not a matter of all these channels anymore. Channels have become almost per se irrelevant, right? And, and, and again, both of you indirectly have spoken to that, right? Which to me, then all of a sudden we have to start looking at, okay, Omni-channel strategy? Maybe not, right? Maybe it's a different type of strategy that I don't want to say is that well-defined yet, but at the same time, it better be, you better start thinking about it because in about five years, this is going to be a mature change. It's not going to be in flux as much as it is now. It's going to be, okay, those latter two generations have a lot more of the power, the buying power and the decision-making power than the former two do. And so... You know, people can pick it whether I'm flawed in my thinking about it, but one way or the other, the changes are going on. That's time says that. Nobody's analysis says it. Time will tell you that one. So the question is, what do you do? I mean, you guys really are kind of well positioned, but that also means that you have to define the thought leadership. You have to define the, the you literally have to be in a position to help the thinking around that because again at the macro level i just described it nobody seems to talk about it for some reason even though it's not like it's not obvious it's pretty obvious 
So, okay, guys, what do you do? Okay, Eagles, <laughs> what do you do? It's funny, Paul, because I, I sort of feel like omni-channel is even more of an uphill battle than headless CMS to fight. So there's that, you know, first of all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was always a bad term, though. Yeah. It's always a terrible term. Throw what it out. Do, yeah, throw it out. That that's the inflection point of where where we really are. I mean, it is it's really exciting for us. Um, I feel like you're pitching me at the same time that we're having this conversation, Paul, because you're like going back to that <laughs> where we started this dialogue. Um, you're going to need a lot of influencer and thought leadership. Sponsorship opportunity. You know what? Thank you for taking the pitch. I wasn't pitching it, but that's great. <laughs> oh, I know. I now doing. am. I need oh, to do no, that. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna take the ultimate confident uh, result. You owe us seventy-five million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and 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 you're right, which is that um, it is a different type of conversation. But this is where we feel really like passionate about that. It's. A, it's, it's an important one that we can, um, you know, lead. And, and I'm, I'm going to say lead because we still think that there is a need. There's absolutely a need to have um, those other technology partners in there with us. So even as, you know, the market might define us as, you know, headless or CMS or whatever, like the ecosystem is so, um, so important um, in terms of that, I'm going to say that last two things. One is the last mile of execution, which we've talked about in terms of delivery, but in terms of of ensuring that uh, it's not about us replacing and building a bunch of apps to replace any of those other tech partners or, or things that exist. It's right. How do we make it more expedient? Um, you know, in terms of time to market, how do we make it more relevant? You know, for the use case, for the global, for the language, you know, um, uh, you know, aspects that are so critical for content, and so. Uh, we have we have a lot of work to do. I'm not going to, you know, lie about that one. We have a ton of work to do around this, but it's a conversation that isn't really being had at that level. And um, this is why we brought the big dog, you know, Nicole in to the team. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I do. I'm glad yeah. you called her big dog and not us. Yeah, yeah exactly, exactly. We call her um, savior of Spain. <laughs> yeah, I'll say it. Um, no, it's, it, it is a really interesting question because I think part of what we see as our journey is this kind of co-evolution with our customers. You know, if you think about like how much has our lives changed, have our lives changed since we got smartphones, you know, and a lot of that has happened in ways that are really sort of subconscious because we have a different set of expectations. We operate differently because this thing is here and it's handy. And so by virtue of having this piece of technology, we do things differently. We use the technology differently. Our expectations change. And I, I think that's the kind of journey that we're on with Contentful's customers as well. We're never going to be the smartphone. You know, we're not consumer technology. You're not going to see us everywhere you go, although we're probably there in the background more and more often. Um, but what we are doing is changing the way people kind of channel, or I'm going to say channel agnostic way of doing things, making it possible to do things more effectively. And we're also, by virtue of that, changing the way companies and people think about what it is they are actually trying to do and what they would like to be able to do and how they'd like to change it. And so it's definitely this kind of co-evolution between the tool and the thinking and the expectations and the ways of working. And that's not something that happens quickly. 
But if we're smart, and we certainly are trying to be, um, we're going to really pick up on those signals and, and walk through the open doors with our customers to help advance that along the way. Because I, we really can see a, a very different and frankly pretty appealing way that companies can operate in this kind of environment. And we've barely begun to scratch the surface. That's right. And, and to what Sven was saying as well, it's, you know, like apps will be there, right? You still need orchestration, like you still need those things. Um, but the approach of thinking about content from the onset and in this different structured and also multifaceted way can really help to drive, I'm going to say, better results for a business instead of doing it in silos department by department, um, not thinking about you as a consumer being able to see that form of content in any type of form factor, you know, whether it's gaming, phone, you know, PC or app. Um, and so the, the apps are going to be only as good as they're going to be without actually the content that's in there. Right. And, and that's the part that we haven't been talking about, like as part of like, I'm just going to say this year in conversation, we, we spend more time in talking about like the workflow, right? The business yeah. process is part of it. And so this conversation does, you know, get, it obviously gets us very excited. And it gets our customers very excited as well. I think to, to Paul's point too, it's going to be important to explain how this is different from the way we traditionally think about CMS. And I am by no means suggesting that you brand a new acronym, but is CMS too limiting here? Has CMS can become too much of the dirty word of the SharePoints of the world with all due respect to Microsoft uh, about the way we manage content? You know, is there a bigger story to tell here that is beyond what we may be constrained in thinking about when we think about content? Yeah, you're right. All these yeah. things to consider. I think I think the trick, Rebecca, conversation without scaring people, and, you know, ultimately it's a really, really big set of, of potential changes, a serious mindset. Um, yeah. But I think we can get there and approach and the deliver results along the way. We we lost, lost a lot of that, year. Nicole. We sorry, we lost a bit of that, Nicole. Oh. Sorry. Wow, and then we just lost Nicole. Uh, nope, there, there she is. Again. Yeah, it's my it's my afternoon internet dropout. Sorry, guys. Um, no, I was I was going to say that the challenge for us is how to how to have this conversation that could potentially be really big and scary in a way that's actually approachable, you know, because it, it is a big set of changes, but I think there's a way to do it that is very practical and pragmatic and that delivers results along the way. Patrick is available for consultation form? as well. <laughs> <laughs> Just throwing it out there. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I'm going to be curious as to what form you actually do this in, all of these things in, the actual form of your content. Right, the actual content you produce as opposed to what you give the ability of others to do. Um, which would be, I'm, I'm uh, well, the thing, I, again, I, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't kidding about like, I had this epiphany about TikTok. I really did. And, uh, but they're just representative at the same time of the way things are going and, and the kind of impact that the way people are. See, what, one of the things you guys do that, you mentioned more or less is the, the you know there's a lot of content creation tools out there and there's actually 
a lot of ways that pe- a lot of formats, let's say, that people choose to consume content. The weak points, the distribution part, right? And that is the weak point. And it's 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 essentially why I'm saying omni-channel gets called into question, because um, a lot of the way that that distribution worked doesn't really work that well anymore, right? It, it, it's not that it doesn't work at all. It's just it it's become people's patience has gotten thinner. It, you know, it's interesting. Nielsen came out this morning with a study on um, basically the idea of, in effect, and I'm, I'm not going to go to details, but convenience on steroids, right? Which is that during COVID, as a result of that, convenience became what people were looking for and partially because of the anxiety created by COVID itself makes you much more impatient, right? So the more, so thus the, you know, the, let's call it the, the, um, the yang to the yin of impatience was essentially convenience, make things more convenient, make it easy, make it so that we can get it done quickly. And we'll start looking that way at things as opposed to how you got it to me doesn't matter as long as it's done conveniently for me. Right. And Mm -hmm. so, and, and the study really emphasizes the changes that the actual escalation of the need. And it was really, again, I don't know if that's um, how they put it an anomaly or a, or a genuine you know, change. It's hard to tell. It's just one study, but it does really raise that question of how content gets distributed, um, because ultimately that's where convenience lives and dies. It doesn't live in the die in the consumption or the creation. It lives in the or dies in the distribution, and and it's where your power is is in that distribution. Mm-hmm. I think, um, and to both your points, pretty much entirely on every single thing you said, right? So. Um, I think that, you know, obviously you're, uh, you're a, um, let's call it, you're becoming a force to be reckoned with again with, with, with the two Eagles, but, uh, you know, that's like permanent now, right? I hope you realize that, right? It will be permanent. Once it happened, Eagles are you, you two are the Eagles. So, there's, a black, um, there's a black velvet painting somewhere with two Eagles. Oh yeah, it's going to have to find. Oh yeah, it's going to happen. It's definitely going to happen. But I, okay, so I guess, you know, final question really is okay, you are now you're well positioned. You know, you've got, you had a name that, um, that existed before you got $175 million, right? Yeah, your name was still pretty respected. You have, uh, there's a market for, um, what you do. Uh, and the question becomes, where do you go? What, what's, if you're looking at an immediate next step, immediate next step, meaning one that you already know, not one that you're possibly thinking about, what is it? Ooh, where do we go? Which one, Dina? Which one do you want to talk about? I know. I, I know this is a fun conversation, right? Like, now that you know, like, behind the walls, right, Nicole? It's like, exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I, I hit on some of the areas that we're making investments, but I, I, I think our ecosystem is a big area for us in terms of where do we go and who are we going with? So um, to me, that is that is the one that um, I think that we just have a powerful, you know, kind of opportunity with in terms of tech solution agency partners. Um, 
the ecosystem that's already building, you know, on top of the platform um, as well. So I think that that's a real critical part, you know, and a bright spot for, you know, for us today. But I think just more that we're going to be doubling down on there. Um, it won't be the only thing, as Nicole alluded, right. that, you know, we're going to be pushing forward on. Um, but we just know, like, the importance of, of that, that this isn't just about, you know, us, you know, as our place in the world. It's a bigger impact that we can make with others um, that share that same mindset, you know, around builders and that share that same mindset around um, the digital experiences and um, that there's just a different and a more optimal way for for this to happen. Yeah, there's, it's clear that there's nobody who's got all the pieces of the puzzle here. And I think the the power of moving in the direction of a platform as opposed to just a system is exactly what, what Dina just articulated. It's recognizing the reality. I mean, what business does not have a heterogeneous tech environment these days, right? And that's always going to be true. So part of the question for us in trying to meet the needs of our customers now and going forward is how do we design for that? You know, how do we make the most of that? And that is absolutely a question that we're answering on the technical architecture side, but it's actually also very much an issue of how we articulate that with our partners to the market and to our customers. And, and that's definitely something we're working pretty hard on at the moment. Okay. Okay. Wow. Wow. We're at the top of the hour for one East coast time. I would I would do the usual question, but we already know we're not amongst any. Well, wait a minute, Rebecca. Yes, sir. No, uh, I don't recall ever oh, asking boy. you this, and you kind of come from a certain area that I. This may be your last. Uh, don't even try to bring Patrick on to try to soften the blow or anything. <laughs> Um, oh, oh my God. Oh. How could you not? On cue. On cue. It's okay, yeah. mommy. It's okay. It's not okay if the answer is not right, mommy. Um, <laughs> do you have a favorite NFL team? Rebecca? No, I do not. Are you telling us the truth, Rebecca? I am telling you the truth. Okay. I love and hate all teams equally. <laughs> You should right, you should have left that part out. You should have left that part yeah, out. No. Uh, you really know is and, a much better and Patrick answer. and Patrick is not named after any particular player. Mm. Now you got mm. us curious, but yeah, we'll have to really find curious. that out at a later day and time here. Leave us with a huh. a cliffhanger there, Rebecca. That's kind of interesting. All right. So thank you both for joining us. I know, you know. Nicole, she left us high and dry, but it's you're always welcome to come back whenever you wish. At least you didn't leave us like Ginger did. I'll I will say that. That 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 was the record. I'm just waiting to see who breaks my record as longest player in residence. So you know, Rebecca, I, you know. There's only two options. I'm just saying. Yeah. It's either yeah. me or Patrick. Your your sibling Anand. Don't forget about Anand now. That's right. right. That's right. That's that's, that's shades. The shades change. Yeah. Shades. shades. Yep. The blue so siblings. We, like, we like to call today them. we had the Eagles and our players in residence of the shades. The two Eagles and the that. two shades. Wow. Okay, we now and know. On, and on that note, I think we better end this one. <laughs> get out of here. Get out of here before yeah, it's too late. Better get out. Oh, Thanks All for right. having so, us. 
Oh, it was awesome. Absolutely. Oh, you don't want to do, you don't want to give it one last, uh, you know, ending, Nicole, like you used to? I can. If you, you know I'm going to say yes. All right. So I'll do this. On behalf of Dina Apostolo, Apostolo. Apostolo. How did I get it wrong? I was the one that got it right the first time. Apostolo. I'm Brent Leary. I'm Paul Greenberg. I'm Rebecca Wedeman. And I'm Kyle Nicole France. And we are the CRM players. Uh, and we will see you next week. With Thanks the, again. You got our picture. Oh, I know. I got to do to this last bit. Here we go. I can only find this stupid picture. There. Hi, <laughs> Hi everyone. <laughs>